Okay, we're running. Okay, so this is Real Disciple Podcast 2. I'm just going to read John 14, starting in verse 15. The Bible says, If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it is neither sees him because he neither sees him nor knows him but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you I will not leave you orphans I will come to you okay so um, this week or this podcast whatever however we want to put it we've got Pastor Peter with us and so um, Pastor Pete, we've just finished service and you preached about the orphan spirit. Powerful message. I mean, probably in a long time, I haven't seen that many people. Uh, people were touched. Uh, a few people, they had to almost go out in the middle of the sermon and come back just to dry their eyes and at the altar. Um, so, I mean, yeah, tell us what, what is the orphan spirit? Yeah, I guess uh, that translation you got, they're already translates the word new, yeah i think that's new, it's king, new james. king james yeah, yeah the old king james it, it, it says comfortless yes and so when you study the word it is the word orphanos in yeah. greek yeah yeah and that's where we get our english word orphan from and that's typically what inspired it why did jesus say that jesus of course was about to leave his disciples and it would have created a vacuum and he wanted them, them to know that you're not going to be alone mm. as a earthly father or as a biological father would abandon his children he says your heavenly father is not going to abandon you and by the holy spirit he will be in you and be with you yeah and so it was an encouragement i realized that uh there was a message in there for this generation you know uh our churches and this doesn't just apply to people who are without christ but even those in christ yeah in the church if correct. jesus if jesus had to say it to disciples i mean these are the cream of the crop yeah. If he had to say it to them, how much more us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we can tend to carry that spirit sometimes and think, well, you know, we've been abandoned, we've been left, uh, and feel uh, defenseless. And when I begin to think about that text and I begin to think about personal experiences in life and then the three churches that I've pastored and the numerous accounts and stories from people, I realized that there was a case to be made for this and wanting to reach out to minister in such a way that could bring healing to those who have been bereaved of a parent or have been crippled in their childhood growing up and carry the effects of that throughout their adulthood life. Yeah. What I liked about it is that you, 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 you spoke about, even as a pastor, as a father, as an older, you know, as a maturer man, later on in your years, ministered to hundreds of people, prayed for people, but we can still have these things. Um, uh, yeah. Absolutely. Would you say then, because uh, I've, I've thought about this before, and where, where, where even Jesus, would we say that he, you know, God the Father, after the baptism, he says, this is my beloved son. And I've always looked at that and thought, even Jesus receives affirmation from his father, from his father. before he That's starts right. his ministry. That's good. He yeah. needs, even like the father knows, you're about to start your ministry, you're about to go through, up to the wilderness to be tempted but before you go I want you to know who you are 
That's right. And, and I thought about that. Okay, great, great, great. That's good. All right, so the, the podcast is, is all about discipleship, making real disciples. What is a real disciple? Um, yeah, I mean, you're a discipler. You've been discipling for decades now. Um, what, what are some of the things, when we talk about making a disciple or being a disciple maker, what are the things that come to your mind? Well, I think the, the first challenge that we all have as pastors in our attempt to disciple is understanding that society is broken. Mm. Um, people's upbringing is not like it used to be. Mm. Uh, children have been abandoned. Again, you can put the whole sermon to the whole idea or the concept of discipleship because the orphan spirit and the absence of a father in the life of a child or perhaps a parentless child can very greatly be affected when it comes to the realm of the, the issues of discipleship. Yeah. There's more of a challenge in trying to disciple someone who's never really had a loving father or loving mother present. And so, you know, because discipleship, of course, is the impartation of spirit and attitude from one person into another. You're trying to, to impart your values into someone else, uh, your convictions. Mm -hmm. uh, you're trying to impart, you know, aspects of God. You're trying to put godliness in them. You want them to be able to stand on their own two feet and to replicate and duplicate what you are. So you've received something from one man, you're trying to transfer that. Simply we're conduits and we transfer uh, the investments that have been made in us into the next generation. And I think the challenge is, is when people don't know how to relate to the one discipling, uh, that becomes an issue. And so it's about having the wisdom to work with broken humanity. God brings people from all kinds of uh, walks of life and they yeah. come into the church they get saved and they don't understand when someone perhaps gives them an order or an instruction or tells them how something's to be and so I understand that in discipling oftentimes our methodology can't be the same for everyone if we're going to reach them and so we need wisdom we desperately need the wisdom of God when it comes to discipling because no two men or two couples respond exactly the same and so some people need a little bit more patience. Other people need a little bit more of a firmer hand. But it's the same objective. We're trying to impart something. We're yeah, trying to impart yeah. God. We're trying to impart the vision of the disciples, what Jesus himself carried. We're trying to put that into, into them. And uh, th 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 I think that we are in a place of great responsibility. God's counting on us to pass the baton to the next generation. And so as pastors, we need to posture ourselves in such a way that would be conducive for discipleship. Again, there are two things that will make it happen. One, a, a willing disciple who wants to learn, who wants to listen, because of course the word disciple means learner, one yeah. who learns. Yes. Yes. So one who wants to learn. There's a Chinese proverb that says, when the student's ready, the teacher will, turn, will show up. So if, if the student is ready, it means they're displaying an attitude of wanting to learn something. And then you have a willing teacher who wants to teach. The problem is if one of those two ingredients are missing, the process of discipleship is incomplete. And furthermore, to really complete the cycle of discipleship, it's where you can effectively disciple one person and then they can disciple somebody else. You've completed the cycle of discipleship. It's a major challenge. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's the thing that I find the challenge. Making a disciple that can make a disciple. That's, yeah. that's the thing where it's almost like you can get somebody to do things because you told them to do it, but then it's almost that's not discipling. They haven't caught your, your values, your spirit. And, um, and then because once you take your eye off them, 
they're not discipling. It's almost like you've, I guess, I don't know what to, how, how to say, you know, how to verbalize it, but you've, you've almost, it's like a drone. You know, a drone needs somebody to control it, even though it's like that. That's not discipleship. No. That's not discipleship. You make it robots. That's a robot. A robot. That's a better word. <laughs> yeah. A robot. Yeah. And um, the problem is, is that the people reject the robot. You know, you've made this robot and then people are like, um, you know, they're not getting with the robot. They don't want to go to the robot's Bible study or follow the robot's ministry. And, you know, and for there to be a facilitate growth, you have to have other men they can get to. Jesus had these other men that could pick up the bread and distribute and do all of these things. Yeah. Um, another thing that you said, and I, and I really have to, you know, uh, echo with that. Even in myself growing up, never really growing up with my dad, coming into church, definitely had the orphan spirit. Um, and yeah, I think you still wrestle with those things now, even as 45. Yeah. You have to overcompensate a little bit because otherwise you'll, you'll go back to that. Absolutely. That familiar spirit. But I think um, when people corrected me, I took it really hard. That was the thing that really was so difficult to, to be corrected. I really had to, I think the Holy Spirit had to do a work in me. Something had to change in me because, I, you know, correction, uh, when, I, when I received it, I recoiled. I didn't like the individual, that the, that the method of the correction. And then also I think you do things and you're always hiding things because you really don't, you're not sure if you're doing the right thing, so you're going to hide it because you, you don't want someone to come and say, actually, that's not right. So you hide everything and you move in a, in a certain, it's not a healthy posture of life where you've got men you're trying to disciple, but they're always hiding what they're doing, withdrawing themselves because they don't want you to find anything that needs correcting. And they kind of, you know, common sense says something is not perfect. Yeah. So you're going to need people to shape you. Yeah, and I think that's why every pastor uh, has to learn the skill of envisioning the men that he's trying to disciple or the couples he's working with yeah. is you got to put vision inside them because once people catch the vision they will develop a natural passion yeah that yeah. means even when you're not there when you're not looking they'll carry it because they have the vision once that vision's there passion is what follows yeah 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 definitely i, I read a book um i'm actually going through it at the moment um, I thought was it extreme ownership and he says to a guy the guy was trying to get people to do things and he says uh, it's the people and the, the guy was trying to teach him a lesson he said there's no bad teams there's bad leaders yeah and he says I'm trying to get the people to do something and they won't do it and so it's the team and the guy actually said to him well that's the problem you're trying to get people to do things he says that's rather than you're trying to get them to do things when you should be leading them yeah you inspire them you inspire them. It. yeah that's right. a better way of putting it okay great um, all right, let's move on to the next thing that I wanted to ask you about. Um, you have four kids. That's right. Ages are? 20, 18, 12, and 10. Wow, no joke. Um, as you look at, as you've been a pastor of many people, different churches, even different nations, seeing people over a long period of time, seeing people come in single, get married, and have children, and some of those children now in their teens, um, what are, one, what are some of the 
the nuggets or some of the things that you, you would say to people that are parenting for Christians long term, seeing now your children become adults? Uh, yeah, a few things. I think number one is uh, we should never, as parents, be afraid to... For, we should never be afraid for our children to see that we are human. Mm. That, you know, we're not infallible. We, we make mistakes. And so we should be willing, more than willing, to apologize to our children if we ever hurt them. Yeah. It goes a long way with our kids when you can say you're sorry. Like if you misinterpreted your child or uh, misunderstood something, instead of brushing it off, say, hey, I was wrong, I'm, I'm sorry. Uh, you will never lose the respect of your children. Mm. They will follow you for the rest of your days. Um, it's also important to listen to our, our children. I think a lot of parents oftentimes have their opinion about life and they don't care what the kids' opinions are and we like to take time to sit and listen to our children talk. I want to hear their own opinions. I want to hear what they feel, what they are thinking. Okay, yes. Then I can adjust perhaps Taking their pulse. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, because, uh, you know, I have my own views of life. I've got my own perspectives on things. But, but the children, you know, they, they have their own view too. They feel things. They experience things. And I want to know. I don't want them to ever be afraid to express what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Mm. Sometimes they have their own feelings and opinions about us as parents. I want to be open to that. You know, if it's constructive criticism, it doesn't even matter the nature of the criticism. I want to hear it so that I can be a better parent. And I think if, if parents took time out to listen to their children, they'd go a lot further with their kids. You know what, what causes them to tick over, what makes them laugh, what makes them cry, what makes them happy, what makes them sad. You understand these things. And I think is, is giving our children a second chance. You know, we've been handed second chances in life. We have to be willing to give our kids second chance. And it's the same as discipleship. Sheep don't like to be driven. They want to be led. Yeah. We have to lead our children and inspire our children. You know, our children want to be around us all the time, my wife and I. And so we do things together as a family, and it's so important. We always look forward to our meal together. Uh, if we can't have lunch together because of school and work, unless it's holiday, we really make that a highlight at nighttime dinner together, whether we go out for a meal, we sit at the table at home and eat, okay. and we're able to talk about all kinds of things. We talk about all sorts of subjects, from the Bible to Bible characters. Do you think that's important, that, that meal time, that coming together as a family? I mean, I, I would think it's important, but yeah, yeah rather absolutely. than just people, you know, one's in the bedroom, one's yeah. on the internet, one's yeah. in here, one's... Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's, it's important and I think it's valuable. Matter of fact, they even carried out a survey and they found that children who sat at the dinner table with their parents and ate a meal every day uh, did better uh, in their schoolwork than those that didn't. I heard that. And, and so uh, even people without Christ have noticed this. Mm. And so it's just a time for... Uh, interaction with your your kids you know time for a little bit of banter and serious talk and again at our dining table we you know I call them table talks we, we sit there and we talk about all kinds of subjects and my kids are fascinated by this and they really love it they look forward to it and we enjoy that time together as a family it keeps our children close to us I think the closer your children are to you yeah uh, the, the easier it is to hold on to them but when you let your kids 
you know, stray, they eventually will stray. So it's important to, to keep our kids close. I, I keep my children close. And Israel, my oldest, he's done really well. He's 20 years old. He loves the Lord. And uh, he's a real Christian, you know. And uh, he's honest with me. Mm. And so is my daughter, 18, you know, Angel. She's 18 years old. And she's, she's a, she really is an angel. You know, I'm proud of her. And, and I, I'm, I'm really thrilled at my two oldest. And then my two youngest, they've taken on. You know, I was excited. I had my wife and I were out of town. I was in Canada preaching early last month and uh, my two youngest stayed at my brother's house and uh, my sister-in-law sent me a video clip of my son uh, Judah who's only 10 years old uh, holding a Bible study for his his cousins so they're all sitting around in a wow. circle and he's teaching them from the scripture I was I was so blessed to see that you know even my youngest son is is following in the footsteps of Jesus amen you know teaching the word of god and wanting to impart what's been imparted into him you know how, do, how what would you say that you've um done that it's not just been you know i mean i'm not a parent but it it could be just you're making them read their bible you're making them pray but what, what what would you say is the difference between that and what you're seeing now? Do you understand what I mean? For some people that you are going to come to, you, not that you don't make people, well, we don't want to just make people do things and then they, as soon as they don't have to do it. I mean, Angel and Israel, if they didn't want it now, they wouldn't, they don't have to. But what, right. what, what's the, what would you say that, how have you got that balance or how would you suggest you found that balance, obviously by God's grace, but how have you found that balance of, bringing them spiritual things into it but then invoking their own yeah i think the important thing is to set the example for mm. them okay and and hope that they follow no one knows what your children are going to do you, okay. you never know so we pray for our kids daily we set a right example i speak into their lives on a regular basis yeah every opportunity i get i speak into their lives it could be on anything okay Right? It could be jumping a queue. Why are you jumping the queue? Yeah. Just wait your turn. I'll, I'll look for anything I can. Yes. Uh, I address attitudes. Um, I ask them why they do what they do. Yeah. And so, again, the examplership, my wife and I are examplership. And then allow them to fail. You know, let them try it out. Once they fall flat on their face, they come, oh, yeah, Dad, I realize I shouldn't have done this. This is what I should have done. I said, so what did you learn from that? Okay. I took my family on a trip. We went to Africa for mm -hmm. the first time, the first time for them uh, in Nigeria. It was my father's 83rd birthday. And uh, when we got back, I asked all my kids, I said, what did you learn? I want to know what you learned from this experience. So it's not me drumming this into you. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them said, I've learned gratitude, Dad, to be grateful for what I mm -hmm. have. I said, you got to carry this through life. These are life's lessons. Mm -hmm. So I constantly look for opportunities to teach life's lessons. And I want to hear back from them. I love feedback for my children, you know, and so I let them talk and I let them tell me what they're learning. Mm. I add things that happen at school. I know about it. They talk to me and they tell me their opinions about things. And that's how we're able, excuse me, that's how we're able to correct. That's how we're able to uh, encourage, to advise, to give words of wisdom and insight and then see the decisions that they make. But I, I let them, I make, I let them make choices. You know, I don't mm. make all their choices and decisions mm. for them. I let them make choices. I want to see what they're going to do. Mm. That you're right. there. You're involved. You're feeling their temperature. You're engaged. You're, you're observant. You're not just, you're present. You know, you're, you're, you're engaged with them. 
you're not just it's not like a clock you just wind it up and then it just tick tick tick, tick. no it's something that you're guiding along the way yeah and i think one of the most rewarding aspects of all this is to see your children want to follow mm. in your footsteps yeah yeah you know like the other day i i was privileged to preach in in rutherhide and um pastor al lambert asked me on the stage he said hey how come judah is he's supposed to be in sunday school i said oh, i don't know i said maybe he just wants to hear me preach well i was right because i asked him after the service i mm. said hey son i said how come you didn't go to Sunday school? He said, yeah, because I heard you were preaching and I wanted to hear you. You know? Wonderful. Words, he, he's, I tell you, I, that overjoyed me. You know, it's like you can be bored of your own dad. Ah, oh, yeah, dad again, dad again, dad again. Yeah, yeah, let but, me go to Sunday not, school. Yeah, no. You know what I'm saying? No, Anything bro. to get away from this. Yeah. But here's a 10-year-old that wanted to sit there. When I'm going places, he wants to come with me. Mm. When I'm preaching, men's discipleship class, dad, can I go with you? I want to go to the men's class. He wants to be there. Yeah. So it's not that I'm forcing it on him. I didn't even give him the option. He heard the announcement and he came to me. Wow. You know, so it's, 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 it really is rewarding. That's a reward, When yeah. you see your children want to follow yeah. in those footsteps and in that path. Very good. Very good. All right, because of time, I know you got, we, we need to go on to other things. Okay, last thing is I wanted to talk to you about Namibia because yes. I think, you know, that's a big part of your life, big part of your ministry, mm-hmm. Namibia. And so um, the first question about Namibia is what made you go there? Obviously, you went there to um, take over the church there. It was a a smaller church than it is now. Let's put it that way. How many people were there when you went there? It had 70 people. 70 people when you took over. And that was when? What was the? 2003. 2003. Okay. And so give us the background. What made you go there? Well, to be honest, the only sole reason I went Mm. was because my pastor asked if I would go. If you ask if I had a desire, Mm. absolutely not. I mean, we were having gut-busting, thriving revival in Bristol. Bristol, We had been there three years and 11 months. We were running 120 people. God was moving. It was incredible. It was dynamic. We had tens of thousands in the bank. We had a free building, rent-free. I had several married couples. We were ready. We were just about ready to start launching churches out. Mm. I had taken a few disciples down to Cardiff. I said, maybe we can plant a church here. I remember uh, I I showed them. I preached on the street. A crowd gathered around. I gave an altar call, and tons of people prayed. The disciples were so stirred, so excited. There was a great anticipation. We knew that we were going to take Bristol for Jesus. Um, and so at that point, it was, it was at the highlight of the ministry is when Pastor Carnegie called me and he said, hey, you know, there's an open door in Namibia. The pastor has to return. They don't have a pastor. Would you go? And I just simply said yes, not knowing what I was getting into. I have never even been to the nation. The only person I knew from Namibia was Frankie Fredericks. who used to run the 100 meters. Okay. And so um, I got my plane ticket. And I, I went to Namibia. I hated everything about it, uh, the, the culture, the handshakes, uh, everything shut early. I mean, Saturday at 1 o'clock, the stores are shut. I mean, everything was like in slow motion. I was like, God, how am I going to live in a place like this? And then two weeks later, my family joined me. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. You know, three months into pastoring there, I fell madly in love with the people, the nation. We didn't want to leave. The church had grown to over 250 people. In what span of time? In four months. In four months. So we've gone from 70 people to 250. Wow. 
Yeah, and so it was an incredible time. Our first baptism, I baptized 67 people in an outdoor pool. It took me two hours to do it. And so we were excited. I called Pastor Carnegie. I said, look, we're, we're growing. We need uh, more chairs. And so he sent me some money. We bought 100 new chairs. I was looking at land uh, that we could build a building. Um, we had great visions for the place. And fast forward, you know, 10 years now, uh, actually 14 years now, this year, yeah, mm -hmm. 14, mm -hmm. 15, it'll be the 15 mm -hmm. years since we were there. Uh, the main mother church is running over 500 people. We've got like 35 or so churches around the nation. They planted two international works. They have their own Bible conference now. Um, it's been an incredible, incredible move of God. That's powerful, man. Yeah. <laughs> we need that here. Absolutely. We're going to have it in we Jesus' need, we, name. We need that everywhere. We man. need it Amen. everywhere. It's coming, man. It's Amen. coming. Okay, so last thing, Pastor. So you've pastored, I mean, you've pioneered, you've been a missionary, you've taken over your own church that you were saved in, uh, your mother church, you've been a conference body preacher, you've been, you know, you've been an evangelist, uh, is it, well, kind of stroke, evangelist, interim, whatever. Uh, what's next? Well, my heart's passion is, is to pastor people. Okay. So I, I do want to pastor again. Uh, whether that be pioneering or mm. I guess if God opens up a door to take over a work. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I feel called to pastor people. Yeah. To lead and guide, direct, give words of wisdom, to disciple, to launch churches. I, I want to see that. I want to see God do that again. Amen. Well, uh, you know, without a shadow, I'm a, I'm a product of that. So we believe you've already done it. Um, Wandsworth is a church planting church, and so uh, that will happen. We believe it will happen. We, will, we, we know it's going to happen. So Amen. thanks a lot. Thank you. That's, that's a lot of wisdom there, and that's it. End of the podcast. Thank you.